Well, before we open God's word together, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for the truth of the song Amazing Grace. It's only by your grace that we're able to come to you. We pray that as we look into the scripture this morning, that you would, encha- that you would challenge us, that you would enlighten us, that you would use it as a mirror for our own soul to see where, uh, where we are in our relationship with you and our movement toward Christ-likeness. So we thank you for the privilege of having the Word of God in our language that we could read and understand. And we pray that we would uh, be honoring and, and, and uh, glorifying to you in the privilege we have of, of living forth your Word in our world. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I have a, a quick poll for you. If you were in the first service, you could not participate in this poll. But if, you're in, if this is the first time you've been to church today here, uh, then you can participate. On the count of three, I want you to yell out an important Christian holiday, okay? You get it? So on the count of one, two, three, yell out an important Christian holiday. One, two, three. Easter! Man, I, I, heard, I think I heard Easter a lot. If you're, if you're an Easter person, raise your hand. Yeah, it's, it's about half, okay? I thought I heard Christmas in there. If you're a Christmas person, raise your hand. Christmas is pretty popular. If you're neither a Christmas nor an Easter person, raise your hand. What, did you, what was your holiday? I said Easter, but I want to say Christmas too. So. Oh, so you're like a both. You want it both ways, right? That's why you want to straddle the fence, take both of them. So he was like Creaster or something like that. Yeah. Eastmas. There we go. Yeah, those are those are really popular holidays, right? And they should be too, because Easter is when we celebrate the birth of of God incarnate, who came to to die uh, on the cross for our sins, which we celebrate at Easter. The resurrection is the the exclamation mark on our redemption that God shows that His sacrifice was acceptable for us. But there's another important Christian holiday. And it doesn't show up very much on the calendar, and I can almost guarantee no one has ever received a card uh, related to this holiday. The title of our message is God But Not Forgotten, and the passage is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, and this is related to the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the word ascension? Ascension means the going up. Well, we have that, we know about his birth. We have all kinds of hymns and Christmas carols and everything related to that. We know uh, about his death on the cross. Lots of hymns, lots of, uh, of emphasis, rightly so, on what his death on the cross accomplished for us. His resurrection, we have an entire Sunday on Resurrection Sunday. If I asked you to name a, a, resur- a resurrection hymn, I bet you could do it like that. Okay, someone name a resurrection hymn. Up from the grave. Okay, now, someone name an ascension hymn. Let the record show there was silence. (laughs) See, it's really not that popular of a Christian holiday. Why why is it so unpopular? Well, it's a little bit unknown. There aren't as many scripture references to it as there are to Jesus' death and resurrection. It's actually a little more uh, to it than we think, but it really is kind of an, an unknown one. It's a little bit unscientific, too. The ascension is when Jesus was taken up from earth and gone into heaven. And, and we, I think we know a little bit about science. If I let go of this cup, what's it going to do? It falls. It doesn't like, rise. If it were to rise up, that would be really amazing and catch your attention. But it didn't do that. We know how things normally work. Now, for those of us that are 
that believe in the miracles of the Bible, that's not too much of a problem with the miracle aspect. But in the 21st century, we know what's out in space. We have telescopes. We have rockets that are dropping uh, rovers on Mars and taking pictures. We know what's out there. And to be honest, for a 21st century Christian, the thought of Jesus rising up past the clouds, past the moon, and Saturn, and Pluto. It's not a planet anymore, but whatever, whatever it is now. <laughs> past Pluto. and it, yeah, it seems a little embarrassing, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit unscientific for what we know about space. It's like if, if a rocket ship travels far enough, they're going to look out and Jesus will be like waving as we go by. <laughs> It's really not what's happening. We'll get into that later, but it is, you know, there is a little bit of a problem with the, with the science on that one, but it's, uh, we'll find out it's really not that much of an issue. It seems a little bit unimportant when you compare it to Good Friday and Easter. It's like, well, he rose, so what? And it may seem a little bit unrelevant to us. Wait, all right, I know the word is irrelevant, but work with me on that one for a little bit. In other words, what does this have to do with today? His birth... I get that one. I get why that's important. His death, big time important. Resurrection, I understand why we need to know that. But his ascension, what's, what's that all about? Well, hopefully by the, the end of our time today, which is really getting shorter as I look at the clock, uh, by the end of our time today, you'll see that the ascension is not only important for an understanding, a fuller understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ and his life and ministry and what he's all about but you also see the relevancy to our lives and we'll even we'll tie into why it's even relevant to a a a a sunday that's independence day sunday so turn with me to acts chapter one and i will read verses one through twelve from uh, acts chapter one as you're turning to the book of acts it might be helpful to know who wrote it. The book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke, a man who was Paul's, uh, Apostle Paul's personal physician. Luke actually wrote two books in the New Testament. One is the book of Acts. Can you guess what the other book was? Luke, yeah. You didn't, you didn't need to go to seminary to get that one down, right? So Luke actually wrote a two-volume account of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel that he came to proclaim. Volume one is the gospel according to Luke, and that shows the travel of the gospel from Galilee to Jerusalem. So that's volume one, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Volume two is the book of Acts. Some of you may see it called, the, uh, some of it, uh, title in your Bible, the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Volume two is the book of Acts, and that shows the movement of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. So the gospel according to Luke, from Galilee to Jerusalem, volume two, the book of Acts, Jerusalem to Rome, through, the, through Christ's people, the church. And as we begin the book of Acts, we see how this, this movement begins. So Acts chapter one, starting from verse one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Going backward from, uh, from the book of Acts to Luke's other account, the Gospel according to Luke, he has the same ascension narrative, much briefer. And I just want to read the last few verses of the Gospel according to Luke because he adds a, a couple more details. Luke 24, verses 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. We'll come back to that later, with great joy. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. Well, as we focus on the ascension, the, the lifting up of Jesus Christ from earth to heaven, there are a few basics that we can get from the text. The first is that it was an historical event. This is not a made-up thing. It was testified in the Gospels. It was also testified in the Epistles. Paul writes about it. Peter writes about it. John writes about it. So this is not a, uh, a made-up something. It was an historical and actual event. It was also very public. There were lots of witnesses to this. Now when Jesus rose, when Jesus rose from the dead, when he was resurrected and came out of the tomb... Who watched him walk out of the tomb? Who was there that saw him walk out? Nobody was there. A lot of people saw him afterwards. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15 that 500 people during the 40 days that Jesus was walking around saw him. But nobody saw Jesus walk out of the tomb. This time when Jesus accomplished this last great act on earth, a lot of people were public witnesses to this. A lot of people saw him do it. Also, it was physical. Jesus didn't spiritually rise. You know, we, we talk about somebody you know, like, uh, I want to, to lift up, rise up on wings like eagles in my relationship to the Lord. Well, this wasn't a spiritual rising. And this was not an out-of-body experience, whatever that means for, for people that, that follow that kind, of, uh, that kind of philosophy. It was a physical breaking of the laws of physics, rising up into a whole other reality. And it was also predicted. Look again at what Jesus said, um, or look at what Luke says, what Jesus was talking to his disciples about in verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Jesus promised this, to his disciples, promised the blessings from the Father to his disciples in the upper room just hours before his arrest and crucifixion. Uh, let me just read some very familiar verses to you from John chapter 14 to uh, uh, remind us 
of the kind of things Jesus said that should have prepared the disciples for this, uh, for this event. In John chapter 14, starting from verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. So he's already predicted this. He's already prepared them for this event, this, uh, this ascension, this rising up. So with all this, let's look at, with the time we have left, the importance of the ascension to Jesus, what it means to complete or to fulfill our view of our Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and what he came to do and what the importance is for us. Because uh, hopefully... After today, we won't think that the, that the ascension of Jesus Christ is an unimportant or irrelevant event. So for Jesus, what does the ascension mean? What does it mean for him? Well, first of all, it's a completion of his work that he came to do. His, call it his humiliation, began when he was born in Bethlehem and he had to rely on a mother to feed him, a mother to change him and rely on people to take care of him. His humiliation, being one of us, walking among us, even though he came from a place of glory, he became like one of us, continued on through his ministry in Galilee and Judea. It continued on through his, his death on the cross. And even after his resurrection, he's still in his glorified body, he's still kind of palling around with, with people. He's still eating fish with them. He's still going around, walking on roads and, and being with people. But finally, at the ascension, this is the completion of his, of his humiliation. Now he gets to return to the Father. The conclusion of his bodily work on earth, all tasks are finished. It's also closure for his disciples. During the 40 days, if you are familiar with the resurrection accounts, when Jesus had his new body, had his resurrected body, all of a sudden he's appearing inside of locked rooms. The disciples are there and Jesus is appearing in a locked room. Then he's on the road with the disciples to Emmaus. Then they realize who he is and then Jesus is gone. And he's now appearing on the shore when the disciples are out fishing. So he's moving from one place to another and he's not limited by, the, by walking distance or that, that we're limited to in our, in our uh, current bodies. In, in his resurrected body, he doesn't have to limit himself to any of the, the physical parameters that we have. So he's here, he's there, he's appearing different places. The disciples didn't know where he was going to show up next, whose room he was going to show up in, who he was going to appear to. But the, the ascension, the rising of watching him go into the, into the sky and be covered with the clouds was a closure for them because now the disciples knew Jesus was really gone. Not forgotten, but he was gone. And that's going to mean some things for the disciples. It also, as a completion of his work on earth, means Jesus can go back to where he belongs. He belongs in a place of glory. He belongs in a place of majesty. We appreciate the fact that he became like one of us. We appreciate the love that he showed, that he walks among us, 
and, and feels our pain. You know, we had a, a previous president who was known for saying, I'll feel your pain, you know, kind of a thing. And he maybe did or didn't, but Jesus knows what it's like to be one of us. But now, after the ascension, he's back to where he belongs. The ascension is also a, a necessary part of Jesus' exaltation. It's a word we don't use very much, but the exaltation means to be brought into the, the, the glory that belongs to him related to his power, his authority, and his enthronement. Now, especially on, on a 4th of July weekend, where we celebrate the fact that we threw off our colonial oppressors and the king and everything having to do with royalty, we don't do a whole lot with kings and queens and princess, princes and princesses. That's not part of our, our culture. That's not part of our background. But we need to look at Jesus' rising up, his ascension as taking his throne. And if we came from a culture where maybe kings and queens were more prevalent, we might understand the, the majesty of this. But the, the rising up of Jesus, the ascension to the right hand, to the, the seat, the throne at the right hand of the Father, is a way of saying he reigns and he rules. Now we know that's true. We know he's king of kings and lord of lords, but the ascension is God's trumpet call to say, this is the king. No matter what else anything looks like on earth, no matter who it looks like is in power, no matter what laws are passed that we disagree with, no matter how much we, we fret and fume over the, the laws of the land that we disagree with and that we know are contrary to the dictates of God, the ascension of Jesus Christ shows that he reigns. And one of the one of the uh, ways that I can view the ascension is a, a check on my own heart. That when I start wondering, where is God in all of this? And these, these opinions are coming down from the Supreme Court that are changing our culture in very dramatic ways. And, and laws are being passed that are legalizing, uh, legalizing things that, that maybe are going to cause more of a damage, more of a deprecation in our culture. When, when I'm bothered by the trends and the, the tendencies that I see happening in our country, the ascension of Jesus is a reminder that he's still on the throne. What's happening today is a temporary, short period of time until Jesus comes and makes things right. That no matter what happens, God's not surprised. Do you think God was... But was, was God on pins and needles waiting for the Supreme Court decision about, about gay marriage, wondering, well, how's that going to happen? Ooh, what, what's the deciding vote going to be, and how is this person going to go? Do you think he was... He, he wasn't wondering how that was going to come about. He already knew, in his sovereignty, he's allowing it. And I need to allow for God's sovereignty to work itself out. I also need for God's mercy and long-suffering to let itself work out while Jesus is on the throne. So while his resurrection is the, the exclamation mark that says my salvation has been accomplished, his ascension is the exclamation mark that says Jesus reigns. And for his purposes and for his will, he's allowing whatever is occurring now in our country, not surprised, certainly not pleased by a number of things, but I need to rest 
in his sovereign control over, over our nation and over the other affairs of the world. And when I see the, the church of Christ persecuted, when I see churches burned and Christians killed, and I see the, the church under attack, uh, at least culturally here in our country and physically in other countries, I wonder where is God in this. But the ascension reminds me that Christ is on the throne. It says that he was lifted up and a cloud uh, took them, a cloud took him out of their sight. And to us, we might think, well, that just means that he rose up really high and, you know, some, some cumulus clouds were a little bit lower and he just rose up into them. But for people in Jesus' day, for people of Jewish background in Jesus' in Jesus's day, to see a cloud take him out of their sight was a reminder of all the cloud language of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, when cloud language is used, it's usually mentioned in in proximity to the presence of God. In fact, as Jesus was taken up into the heavens and the cloud obscures him, it it would not be uh, out of line for the disciples to have remembered one of the great expectations of the Messiah as outlined in Daniel chapter 7. Let me read from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and see if this doesn't sound like See if this doesn't sound like what they would picture Jesus going into. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man in the clouds of heaven. You know, one of, the, one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself was Son of Man. It doesn't just mean that he came from us, but it's a, ref, it's a reference to the one reigning on high with God. So the, as Jesus was taken up, it's a reference to what Daniel prophesied, prophesied hundreds of years before Christ, that this very same situation was going to take place where he would return again in the same way that he was taken up. So the disciples would recognize that this was a, a place of honor, a place of enthronement, for their Lord, that this was something that they'd been waiting for. And their question earlier about the kingdom of Israel, Lord, at this time will you restore the kingdom to Israel, seems a little bit pale compared to what was about to happen on the global scale. And that's a check and a balance for me also. The disciples were concerned about their country, concerned about their their place and and where, where they were living and their exaltation. Maybe some of us have that attitudes also about our own country and our own place and our own exaltation. Because Jesus had to remind them, it's not all about Israel. It's about God. The third importance for Jesus is that now he's at a place of mediation. In both Romans chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 7, it says that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Jesus prays for us. Part of his, his work 
His ongoing work, because he has ascended, is to be right there, right in the place of power and authority to make things happen. And when Jesus intercedes for us, that means that just as we have prayer requests that we hand out on Wednesday night, we may be praying for them in our, in our adult prayer meeting on Wednesday night or in, the, in some of our other prayer groups, but Jesus has the same prayer requests before him. And Jesus prays for the programs of the church, for the missions requests that are here. Do you think about it that our Lord prays for us. The one who taught us to pray is also interceding on our behalf. And sometimes we ask for things that aren't according to his will and, and he prays in his way according to his will for what we need. I look at this in, in terms of my own, my own activities when I'm walking down a, a road that has a moral moral fork in the road. One direction I can take is going to bring honor and glory to God. You understand what I'm saying? I have a, a, a choice to make. One of my choices will bring honor to God. Another choice will bring shame and embarrassment to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And as I come to that moral fork in the road, as I come to that decision place, Jesus as the ascended one, the one who's right there praying for me, is saying, I pray that Tom makes the right decision. I pray that Tom makes the decision that brings glory to God. And when I picture it that way, when I picture my ascended Lord praying for me, in these difficult times, these times of temptation, these times of testing, it, it changes my, my direction sometimes. It changes my attitude. When I'm going through a difficult situation, and I, I know and I appreciate that the church is praying for me. You know, as much as I appreciate you all praying, it means just that much more, <coughs> excuse me, it means just that much more that Christ is also praying during my difficult times. So the ascension is, the ascension is important because it reminds us that Christ is there ever leading, uh, ever living to intercede for us. Well, what about... For us, what, what, for us, what does the ascension of Jesus mean? Well, first of all, kind of contra- in, a, in a contradictory manner, it was a time of joy for the disciples. Remember the way that Luke ended his gospel account of the ascension. And they, uh, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now when someone leaves you, is that usually a time of joy? Like when, when we have, know somebody in the military and they're going for deployment, they're getting ready to go to, to Afghanistan or Iraq or, or wherever they're ser- serving the Lord. Is that usually a time of joy? Hey, yo, see you when you get back from Afghanistan. Or if our, our children are going off to college and we're, we're dropping them off at their dormitory or, or seeing them drive away, do we say, hey, Mom and I are going to have a lot of fun now. Something like it's, 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 we don't usually have great joy when those that we love are going to be spending time away from us. But the disciples were joyful, and I, I believe for a couple of reasons. One would be because their, 
Jesus is getting what's coming to him. For so long, he endured the humiliation of being one of us and living among us. Now he's getting what's, what, what's coming to him. But another is now, he's going to, by going away, and the disciples would remember Jesus' words in the upper room, by going away, Jesus will bring to the disciples, or send to the disciples what he promised. In John chapter 16, he says to them, it's good that I go away. Because if I go away, I will send you another comforter. And he'll be with you forever. So the disciples' joy was because of what was going to happen next. That as everything that Jesus had promised and predicted to them came to pass, his ascension, his going away, marked another, you know, ticked off another box of what Jesus had promised. And now they were waiting for what was coming next. And Jesus had told them that was going to be the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So the disciples were concerned about, will the kingdom of Israel come next? Jesus was saying, the kingdom of Israel is nothing. What's coming next for you is going to blow your minds. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and then you'll be witnesses. So that's the second aspect of the importance for us. It gives a sense of mission. You know, uh, remember when when you were learning to ride a bike, how many of you ever used training wheels when you were riding a bike? Anybody? Yeah. I, I remember having training wheels on my bike, and man, I was ready, I was like flying down the road, because you can, you can do no wrong when you have training wheels. You know, I, I guess if you like try to look, jump off a ramp, something bad can happen. But really, you have, you know, they're, they're there for a reason, to get you used to riding a bike. But then if you use training wheels, do you remember the first time those training wheels were off? Ooh, you have a whole, a whole other set of, of skills you need to learn on that bicycle. Well, when Jesus ascended, in a sense, the training wheels came off of the disciples in their work for the Lord. It's one thing to have Jesus right there with you, and he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the Sadducees. He's the one dealing with the, with, with the, the crowds, and he's the one guiding and directing where, where, the, where they're going to go next. But now... He's gone. The training wheels are off. And now the disciples have a sense of mission that Jesus is going to put to them, a responsibility put to them to carry on his work. You will be my witnesses. It's not an option. He doesn't say, if you want to, you'll be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. After you receive that power, you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. So so Jesus' ascension for the disciples is a sense of mission for them, a new work that's going to commence. It's no different for us. When we look at the ascension of Christ, we can, we can feel the same sense of joy that they had, that the promise of Jesus is going to come upon us. Jesus said, it's good that I go away. If I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit to come upon you. That was true for the disciples, and it's true for any of us who believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and paid the penalty before God so that I could be right with him. We can have that same joy. That, that Why should I be joyful that Jesus ascended? Because that means that I can receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Since Jesus ascended, that means I have a sense of mission. I carry out the will of God on earth. Not that I do my own will, but I carry out what he does, or what he wills. I carry out his work. It's a privilege. And by thinking of the ascension, I'm thinking I'm left with a task. The, the, the cross, that was for us. The resurrection, 
That was a stamp that shows that what he did worked for us. That was God's authentication. It's a promise of what's... His resurrection is a promise of what will be true for us later. But his ascension is a sign that I have a job to do. To be a witness. And that means to tell others what God has done for me and to tell others what God can do for them. So the ascension, maybe, maybe that's why it's not such a popular holiday because it means that we have work to do. Christmas, that's all on God. The cross, that's all on Jesus. The resurrection, woo that was great. Ascension means we have something to do. So ascension day means that we are, are we carrying out the mission of fulfilling God's will in a lost, broken, and dark world. For the disciples and for us, ascension also means a time of hope. Jesus said in in John chapter 14 that there'll be a reunion. He said, when I go away, what's he doing? I'm going to go away and I'm going to do what? In John 14. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So God took six days to make the world. He's taking 2,000 years to prepare that place. So it must be pretty decent, I would think. (laughs) And what what Jesus is doing is calling to mind the idea of the the bride and the bridegroom uh, situation where where the groom would go away to make a place for his bride. Now I know in... And because of the King James Version and because of some other translations, we, we think about these mansions. You know, we have, we have mansions and mansions and mansions. Well, what this is really talking about is more like what we see in Nigeria where there's a piece of property that a father owns and the son will take, different, will take a part of that property and build a house that he and, and his wife will live in. So there'll be a property with different houses, different rooms on it. That's kind of really where, where this word is, what this is getting at. So what Jesus is saying is, just like a, a, a groom goes away to prepare a place for the bride when he's ready to receive her, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you so that I can come back and bring you to where I am. So the ascension of Jesus is a statement that there's going to be a reunion with Christ. He's going to prepare the place, and in his time, when he's ready, when everything is set, he's going to come for us. It's also a reminder of, uh, for us, the ascension means he's going to return. There can be no return of Christ without an ascension of Christ. As the, uh, look again at what the angels said to these, uh, these disciples as they were looking. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went... Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Well, that seems like a no-brainer of a question. Jesus just went, whoop, like this. I think I know why they're looking into heaven. You know, they're like, uh, like this. If it were raining, they would probably have uh, their mouth full of rain. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the ascension is a reminder that Jesus is going to return. That all the, all the difficulties that we're facing right now, all the issues that are contrary to what we want to see in a, in a redeemed world will be righted when Jesus returns. So the ascension is a reminder to us that someday Jesus is coming back. Now I know that as 
Bible-believing Christians in an, in an evangelical church that believe in the second coming of the Lord, we know, we know Jesus is coming back. But do we live our lives as if he's returning? I would imagine that the disciples who saw him rise, that would be pretty much in their minds, like he's coming back again that same way. By focusing on the ascension of Jesus, it helps us really solidify the fact that, yep, someday Jesus is returning. And how are we living in the light of his return? Sometimes people like to to study prophecy so they know what's coming next. In the scriptures, it tells us that when you learn about, when you know what's coming next, it should make a change in the way that we live our lives. So if we're really living in the light of the Lord's return, it should really make a difference in the way that we live, knowing what's coming next. So why is it better that Jesus left? Well, we can exercise faith because if, we, if Jesus were standing right here, it wouldn't take a whole lot of faith to believe in him, would it? Jesus told Thomas, you see, and after the resurrection, he told Thomas, you see and you believe, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. It also gives us a chance to exercise responsibility. Since he's ascended, that means he's, he's allowing us to carry out his work. We get to experience upward thinking. Where Jesus is, is where our citizenship really lies. We can get too tied down to what's here and what's in this life. By focusing on the risen Christ, having our minds literally lifted upward, we, can, we experience that uh, a, a sense of, of living beyond what we can see and, and feel and do here. When we talk about up and Jesus being up there. Well, it just means that he, he moved into another reality. He's not, he's not sitting on a, on a planet somewhere in a, in a far-flung galaxy. He moved to another reality. The disciples saw him move out of sight. Where he is, we're going to be. And then finally, we get to ex- expect a joyful meeting with our Lord. You really want to see Jesus you know, do you, you really want to meet him? Focusing on the ascension. I mean, face to face. We we know. We we, we you know. We, we sing hymns. We he walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. We know what it's like to experience closeness with God. We know that. But the ascension is a reminder that he's gone, but he's not forgotten, and it gives us a yearning and a longing to see him.